Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by kids with incredible taste in outdated music, because every witty kid memorizes obscure 90s bands. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Lana Finn. Feel like you again with Lana Finn. Welcome, everyone, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers. We do a lot of stuff behind, in front of the camera. We were just talking about uh, living the life of an actor. Uh, we were doing some voiceover work, and we submitted an audition. And I was like, "Hey, did 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 y'all get that gig?" And I didn't because uh, it was kind of a group thing. And Todd was like, "No, no, no, no. We just never heard back." He was like, "What? What are you gonna do?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's that's what it's like to be an actor and really working the." the creative industry. It's nonstop rejection, usually silent rejection. You, you normally don't get told that you're not good enough. They just imply it through their silence. Um, Great point. And we bring all of that kind of experience to the, the show. We, we talk about all the stuff that we're observing in a film. We try to break it uh, down and see what we would do differently or more than likely what we learned um, whenever you're looking at, you know, just masters of their craft like paul thomas anderson it's usually a more of a kick in the pants than anything's like well you know what he did wrong not on your life <laughs> um but <laughs> but we do that and it's it's interesting because you know i just wrapped a project and there's uh my roommate reminded me of a quote from scorsese that if you don't get sick watching your first cut you're doing something wrong um and i'm not even through my first full first cut and I'm just sick to my stomach. I'm like, I'm the worst. And I don't know, maybe that goes away on this one. I get that pretty much with every project. I walk away on the day as you're shooting things, it feels great. And you're like, Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. And then the minute you wrap and you walk to the car, I get that same exact feeling everyone gets when they arrive at the airport where <laughs> you just like, wait, do, do I have everything I need? Uh, and <laughs> You, but you're not going to unpack all your bags to make sure, right? You just kind of, you got to go with what you got uh, and cross your fingers that when you get there, uh, you did, in fact, plan properly. That's filmmaking. <laughs> and you you walk away from set and you're like, oh, God, I, I can't take this anymore. Uh, and then nine times out of 10, everything's fine. That one out of 10, my God. <laughs> and so I might be due for a one out of 10 moment here. I don't know. Mm. We'll see. Uh, if nothing else, it's always a learning experience. Maybe I'll learn that I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. No. Or maybe I'll, I'll realize, oh, you know what? There's, there's a lot of redemption here um, and, and things to take forward onto my next project. TBD, Todd. TBD. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as with anything, I think the point is you know, whatever the point is the journey. And, you know, we, we've seen recently, like every great director, every great actor, every great writer has a past has a history of failure. And I think that that's important to take with us, but also the, the, the notion of what failure actually is, you know, like, like, I think it's easy to say failure is I intended for something and that thing didn't come to fruition. And that's what we did dictate as failure. I would argue that failure is the is not making it at all. Like that's the biggest failure, right? Because then you have nothing to learn from. You can't do it better the next time. I mean, <laughs> you know, for you, it might be films. For me, it's music. I mean, I, I spent years making my last record. I don't know what's going to happen with it. Probably nothing, but it doesn't matter, right? Because for me, it was just, it was just, I just needed to make it. And yes, could things have been done differently? Sure. Could they have been better? course they can always be better like my reco today is going to focus around that actual thing the the, the making of said thing rather than hmm. the thing itself and yes I, I think one of the things that that you're really good at is being your own critic right like yes of course we want everybody we want society to embrace what we make we want it to be accepted we want it to be seen for what it is for the, 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 in, and the detail to be seen and noticed. Of course we do. Of course we do. But in the end, we're really making it for ourselves and the, the audience comes last. You know, if we, we have to, if, we're, if at any point we're thinking about, 
you know, what the world is going to think we've already failed, you know, because then you're not making something that's true to you. And I think that you're very good at having that vision of what you want. And that's what makes you a good director. As for whether or not that comes to fruition, I mean, especially something like film, you have to depend so heavily. There's a the biggest fly I've ever seen in my <laughs> studio right now. You have to depend so heavily on other people, on a producer, on a on a DP, on the gaffers, on the actors. Like you you can't, you know, I could sit in my room and make him make a song and spend months just making it exactly what I want and nobody have nobody else influence it. But you cannot do that like you know you have to elicit the talents of many other people that have better gear than you do have have an eye that you know a cinematographer whatever the word is i right that because they do that every single day so mm. so you have to rely on them you have to rely on our producer to wrangle people yeah all of these things you know so what comes out film wise might not be exactly what you had in your head. And there's not much that you can do about that, but the execution of the thing, the attempt, the, the work, that's the win. You know what I mean? And it's, yeah, it's hard to see that. I know, you know, especially post a shoot. Yeah. Um, but just get through it. Keep going, keep going, keep pressing. That's how you go from schmuck to uh, a master so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So today we, speaking of that great segue, we are covering, <laughs> we are covering PTA's The Master. So if you haven't seen this film, please pause this episode and go watch it because I, we're going to spoil stuff. I guess. Question mark. <laughs> That's yeah. We'll look at a handful of things. Definitely touch on some of the cinematography, uh, the use of contrast and eyeshadows. Uh, we'll also look at some of the story and writing. Uh, we'll look at Freddy's potion, Doris, and who the real master is, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. A naval veteran arrives home from war from war unsettled and uncertain of his future until he's tantalized by the cause and its charismatic leader. It's written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, cinematography by Mihai Malamare Jr. Sure. Uh, featuring Joaquin Phoenix as Freddie Quell, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lancaster Dodd, Amy Adams as Peggy Dodd, Jesse Plemons as Val Dodd, Amber Childers as Elizabeth Dodd, Rami Malek as Clark, Madison Betty as Doris, and Laura Dern as Helen. Do you often think about how inconsequential you are? Yes. Do you believe that God will save you? No. Have you ever had sex with a member of your family? Yes. Are you lying? No. Who? Auntie Bertha. Where's your aunt now? I don't know. Maybe home. Are you lying? No. Are you a liar? Yes. Have you killed anyone? Yes. Who? Japs in a war. Do you regret this? No. What are you running from? Maybe hurt a man, I think. Maybe he's dead. I don't know. Where? In Salinas. He stole a batch of my booze and he drank it. Does this bougie make poison? Not if you drink it, smart. Are you trying to poison me? Mm, no. Where's your father? Dead. How did he die? Drunk. Where's your mother? Where's your mother? Looney bit. Is she psychotic? Yes. What is the name of your aunt? Bertha. How did you come to have sex with your auntie Bertha? I was drunk and she looked good. And you did it again and again? Yes. Have you ever had bad thoughts about Master Peggy? Yes. What did you think? I thought you were fools. Am I a fool to you? No, sir. If you were locked in a room for the rest of your life, who would be in there with you? Doris. Who's Doris? Best girl ever met girl I'm going to marry one day. Is she in Lynn? Yes. Lynn, Massachusetts? Yes, sir. And why aren't you with her? Uh, I'm an idiot. Why aren't you with that lovely girl? I got no reason. I'm a fool. Do you love Doris? Yes. Is she the love of your life? Yes, sir. Why aren't you with her? I don't know. Yes, you do. Tell me why you're not with her if you love her so much. I told her I'd come back, and I never went back, and now I just, I gotta get back to her. Why don't you go back? I don't know. Why don't you go back? I don't know! Close your eyes. It's funny. There's not a ton of intense scenes, but that's one of them. (laughs) Um... I mean, that's a that's an incredible scene for so many reasons. The the way it starts is not the way it ends. When it starts right, he's not taking them serious. 
he's laughing at everything. Um, and it's not until Lancaster, the master, tries to pull away. It's like, okay, we're done. And then it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. no, we're not done yet. I, I, and it's that point where he starts to push his buttons and, and Freddie starts to invest. Like when he tried to take away, now I really want it. And now I'll, I'll take this seriously. Um, and it wasn't anything overt that Lancaster is doing. It's very subtle psychological stuff. And it's just such a beautiful sequence to see this guy, Freddie, go from a jokester to desperate. And it's beautiful, just beautiful acting, beautiful writing. Even the editing, as simple as it is, just hold. We're just going to watch him. It's gorgeous. So what do you take from the master? What's your, <laughs> what do you think about this thing, man? Just get, tell me, tell me everything. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was ready to come in and kind of just say, eh, you know, like it is, it's, I mean, it's brilliant for what it is, but I, it's, it's hard. It's a hard um, film to watch multiple times, you know, but if you look at it from a storytelling perspective, and a um just a like a one of the things that i love about films is that you can literally tell whatever story that you want and that can be the focus of those two hours and that story can be as grandiose or as small or in between as whatever that you want and it can change throughout and i feel like this story you're trying to discover what it is the entirety of the film you're trying to understand like okay i think this is it kind of parallels uh l ron hubbard and scientology but it's not that it's something different maybe it's another version of something like that maybe it's the story of how uh, a if you want to call it cult can influence people into into dedicating their life and their time and their attention to it why that works for some people and if that's the case you know this is a masterful film i mean like you know that's that's i knew you were going to show that clip because (laughs) that is that's an oscar-winning moment and i think i think for a lot of reasons one i think i mean the obvious reason the acting in that clip the cinematography we're not cutting away we're staying here because the energy is right there the energy is in the fast response in the honest response from freddie uh but also in the con the way that the question is delivered from lancaster like it's just a masterful interaction and capture of of the interaction and it's so funny you know i see so many similarities between the cinematography of the master and phantom thread that we did there's you know it might be subtle but I just I I feel that it's in the direction and the conversation was had. This is what we're doing. We're staying right here, you know, uh, and so that's that's what's happening. So for me, this this is a story of this this like in in desperate need for people to feel seen and a part of something. Both. You want to feel like you're both. It's not just like I'm. I, I don't want to be a cog in a wheel. I don't want to be just like another part of this community. I also want to be seen by people and have that be recognized. I don't want to be just seen because then I'm an outsider. I want to be a part of something as well. So it's, and that's what Freddie was searching for. And that's what Lancaster gave him. I mean, even, even he had just met Freddie and he invited him Freddie was a was stowaway on his boat and he invites him to his daughter's wedding. Okay. Now Freddie feels seen and and like he's being invited to be a part of something. And then Lancaster latches onto him is like I'm going to but he's using him. He's using him as a pawn in in or as a a test dummy for his theories in his head. Uh I do love how the story kind of of Lancaster devolves a little bit where you know when his book comes out and he's being questioned by Helen and he explodes because Helen is like I noticed that you said this word and it kind of well this is a new direction or whatever and I I I think that that was a pivotal moment for me watching this film of what this actually is about right that 
So if that hadn't happened, let's just take that one scene out where Helen doesn't question his new book and his new, you know, maybe there's not even a new book. We just continue on. Right. Or he's just not questioned. He's not questioned in a way that he has an answer for. Right. Because he's questioned earlier in the film by that guy in the that walks in the room. He's like, this is bullshit. And, you know, whatever. And he has a great answer for it. And or or at least he owns the answer for it. Right. Whether it's great or not. He does the whole Donald Trump thing where he like says something, says something like with gumption. And so it's got to be true. But for Laura, he just gets mad. If that hadn't if that doesn't happen, then you don't see what Val says earlier, which is like he's making this stuff up as he goes. You don't see that. huh? So there's this there's this little bit of thread of like this is all BS. Um, and then it comes to a, a head right there. So. I, I don't know. I also think that, you know, it wants you to identify with Freddie a lot throughout the film. You know, it gives you a lot of backstory. It makes you feel for him. It's so that when he does like crazy, stupid things, but then Lancaster pulls him back in, you know, it feels like, oh, I'm so glad that Freddie has Lancaster. Hmm. I'm so glad that he has this North Star or else he would just be he would kill himself drinking. You know, he would just die. So. So, so good good for you lancaster you're saving him whatever are you saving you know are you saving him i don't really know that and so it it's just a good i guess all of this is to say that this is a good example of films raising the questions for you internally and not fully answering them um and that's why i think it's such a strong film it's not one that i want to watch again it's not something that like i want to spend a lot of time on i'm glad that we're doing it it's a masterful execution of many things in many forms, but it's uh, it's 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 a little hard to watch and and not because not because of something that's overt. It's just mm. hard to watch because it's, you know, his uh, Freddie's spiral is slow. Lancaster's responses to him are slow. The ending is slow. You know, uh, it just it's an evolution that brings you along with it if you want to if you want to go. I'll stop there. Yeah, I kind of had the same reaction my first time watching it, which was that was amazing. I never want to see it again. Um, yeah, there you go. I, I saw it in theater on 70 millimeter uh, film and it was beautiful. That kind of grabbed me as much as anything else is just how beautiful it held up onto such a big screen. Um, and the color, man, I'm in love with the color in this film because it's all, you know, production design, uh, wardrobe. Um, and I light amount i'm sure of you know post-process you know handling but it's just really well thought and and you know put together and the stuff that i struggle with is certainly when i when i watched this i was when this came out i was just exiting my own church Ooh. Uh, and there's there's a lot you know i'm not gonna say there's a ton of overlap but there's a fair amount in some aspects now in the south in Texas, where I'm from, like no one's, you're not getting pulled into a church probably, uh, where they're talking about a trillion year old war with aliens or whatever, you know, parallel they're doing with Scientology here. Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, and so my church was pretty traditional as far as, you know, religion goes, but the, that aspect that you were talking about him being questioned, that is spot on. You could not ask questions. If you did, you're being rebellious and um, it was very authoritarian and we know better for you. We, you know, control your dating life. I mean, it was, it was a lot, you know, and I, I took it for a while until I wasn't, until I had enough experience and, and, and could reveal like, Oh, you know what? Now that I, I've been doing this long enough that I should be seeing some of the fruits or promises that religion and my church is promising. And you know what? Uh, this is pretty fruitless stuff, guys. And <laughs> so I got to go. Uh, and that's just me. I'm a very analytical, like, you know what? I'm going to step back, see things for what they are. And if they aren't what they promise to be, that's okay. That just means this isn't for me anymore. Um, and that's what I did. And so stepping into this exactly around the time I'm stepping out of the church was just like, oh, God, a little sick to my stomach. It helped that this was definitely taking jabs at Scientology. But 
it wasn't far enough where I didn't feel the the sting of some of those moments. And I hadn't I hadn't watched this again until this morning, whenever I watched it to prep uh for the show. And it was just like, okay. Uh it wasn't as bad, uh, but it definitely brought some stuff to the surface where I was like, oh, yeah, I remember feeling that way. That's not fun. And Lancaster is just Phyllis Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix in, in a room together just talking is one of the most riveting things you can do in a movie. I just wanted a whole movie with that. <laughs> yeah, really. It could have been a stage play where it is just them doing a, a processing session. And it goes for two hours and you leave and you're like, best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, uh, they're just incredible. Yeah, I don't know. I think one of the things that grabbed me, I'll just go through some notes and my other thoughts will pour out. One of the things that grabbed me on as I started rewatching it, because I tried to watch it last night. My my neighbors, uh, they, they love their subwoofer. And so if I had watched it, it would have sounded like, uh, I was watching the master if scored by, you know, uh, Trent Reznor. <laughs> so I, just, uh, yeah, I didn't want that experience. Um, and so I waited till this morning. And so I didn't get a full two viewings, but on my second watch, I was like, Oh, this is interesting with Freddie's potion, right? His little concoction that he makes. And we, it's so confusing that first time you're like, is he taking fuel out of a torpedo <laughs> uh, and drinking it? for liquor okay yes and then that my first time watching it he's in the he's in the photo lab and i'm like oh is he making mixing something for his photos so like, oh no oh he's taking stuff off the show this much then he drinks it i was like oh no he's making like uh, a drink and it was very confusing my second time through though i was like oh no, no no he's doing this very deliberately after seeing the paint thinner it becomes very clear he doesn't care he's just mixing random stuff that could kill you and it's all poisonous stuff and what's interesting is in that clip, in that, that first processing session that they have, as they call it, Freddie defends it because he, he asks him, he's like, you know, will it kill you? He's like, no, it won't kill you if you drink it smart. Like, what does that mean? If you drink it, is there multiple ways to drink something? <laughs> like, it goes in your mouthy hole. Like, and that's kind of the end of that. Um, your mouthy <laughs> hole. <laughs> and so... What's interesting to me, though, is in light of the context of the rest of the film and that it only really becomes obvious on the second watch for me is that this is Freddy's iteration of religion where he's haphazardly mixing stuff together and he declares it safe and then blames people for hurting themselves with it because they used it wrong. Right. It's it's not his fault. It's their fault. Like. It's this lack of self-ownership over what you're putting into someone else's body, um, which is really astounding. And because in reality, it, it is his fault. Like he's lying and he's willfully lying uh, because if you rewatch it, whenever that guy uh, in that clip, he says the guy stole the, the alcohol from him. If you go back and watch that clip, every, he tells everyone else, okay, we're done. You know, that's enough for y'all. He pours a little more and he hands it to this guy and he says, drink up. Uh, and the guy's just like, okay. He's like, what's your name? James or whatever he mumbles. Uh, and what does he tell him? You look like my father. And so if you review some of these moments, you can suss out what he's actually lying about. And then maybe start to suss out like, oh, there's some motivation underneath there where he's trying to get back at his dad, you know, through this, uh, whatever, uh, temporary being um what do you what do you call it uh, uh whatever um and so it, the alcohol is uh is, is just another metaphor for what is going to happen with lancaster and so before we get into that though and that clip ends when he when he invokes doris the love of his life why can't why, why won't you go to her i don't know why i don't know he doesn't know and i think it's he can't return to doris for the very same reason he's drawn to the cause and to Lancaster and his movement. That's because Freddie feels worthless and unworthy of love. And the great irony here is that Doris's love was selfless and pure and could possibly have helped Freddie. 
mm-hmm. right? Not that we should have those expectations on people, but in reality, she probably could have helped him deal with some of that that internal struggle that he was feeling that we assume because of the way it's written uh, is tied to the war and what he experienced in the war. By contrast to her love, the church's love is self-important and insidious, and it's built to perpetuate your sense of worthlessness, whereby they, the church, are the sole cure. Mm-hmm. Now they provide your meaning and provide your worthiness. And because that means without them, you are a vile beast. If you don't want to be those things, you therefore need to stay with church. And you're I thought alleviator. you said you had nothing, not much to say here. <laughs> this is exactly what I expected and hoped to get out of you. <laughs> and it's, it's so brutal. Like if you've never experienced those feelings of being worthless and you go to church, like for me, it's a traditional charismatic or, you know, Baptist church, like you sit in there and you hear, you know, someone up front talk about all these wonderful, beautiful pain fixing, you know, panaceas. And then at the end, they, they do what you call an altar call. Right. And they say, if you, if you've sinned, if, and what they're effectively saying is if you're a worthless piece of shit and you don't want to be a worthless piece of shit, come up to us, we'll pray for you and we'll fix that. That's, that's the, the, the problem and the promise. And you go up there and for a moment, you no longer feel like a worthless piece of shit. And it's amazing. And when you get that, and that's what's happening in that processing session for Freddie is he's getting a taste of therapy and it's all through this gauze of junk, uh, that's being filtered through, you know, uh, uh, Lancaster. And, but he's having this moment where he feels understood and he feels uplifted and it's so addictive because you've never felt cared for before. No one's ever invited you to their daughter's wedding after you literally passed out drunk in their basement. And, and so you suddenly find yourself feeling a part of something, like you said, part of a vision and, and worth something. You're contributing something. It all means something. And it's, you don't know at the moment, but it's going to come at a cost and you just can't see what that cost is at the front end. It's not until you've been through it that you suddenly see, Oh, they took some of the best from me. They took, uh, you know, my sense of self being my autonomy, because how can you, how can you, a vile beast maintain autonomy that creates the circumstances that you found yourself needing us in the first place? You have to give up autonomy in order to get rid of the vile beast. Therefore, you're now subject to another master. You are no longer your own master. Um, you're subject to someone else's decisions on your life. It's it's all really wonderful, you know, in, in a big, grandiose story. And that's what Doris is so wonderful for in this, in this you know, moment is to see he had a moment where he could have had something good and pure and wonderful. And instead, he's... He finds himself beating on people and being told, uh, and it's so good on the boat, whenever, uh, uh, the party's ending and Lancaster's about to go back to his room and he, he's doing the joke about whenever I, whenever I pinch my nose and grab my ear, that's when I want another more potion. And then as he's leaving, what does he do? He makes this, uh, ironic joke of stay seated, stay seated. And he's lifting his hands as if. I'm saying one thing, but I want you to do another. I'm saying stay seated, but I'm asking you physically to rise. Right? That's a lie. He's 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 giving people conflicting directions. And I think that's actually important. It's a funny little joke that everyone laughs at because they're like, what do you oh, we get it. Like you're being you're you're humbly telling us you want to be loved through our gestures. Um, and that's humorous. But later in the film, when Freddie is out wrecking people. What is, what is, what's actually happening whenever he goes back to Lancaster He's being told you can't do that, but it, the tone and the, the subtext of what he's saying is good job. Good job, son. Well done. And it's, it's complete irony and it's complete self-awareness and it's complete manipulation of the people under his uh, power. And 
it's all, it's so good. It's just so well thought out and there's so many layers. I couldn't possibly tease them all out, but those are the main things that kind of stuck out in me. Uh, and I love that you brought out, you know, the whole aspect of him being questioned or held accountable and his reaction is to turn it back on you and to make it seem like you don't get it. This is your problem. I'm doing everything right. You're doing everything wrong. And the fact that you're not trusting me is a problem. Um, and that's how they squish you back down to make sure you stay in your place. Uh, cause the last thing they want you to do is ask questions. That's, that's a party foul of, you, you know, magnificent proportions. Um, anyway. Well, and, and, and you can, man, uh, I don't have much to add to that. I just want to corroborate for a second. Like, like, you know, I grew up in the church too, in a different type of church. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, uh, it's, we have figured it out here in this group. And here is the bubble on for how to act, how to be, and what to do in your life. And if you deviate from that, then you're not part of this group. Mm. But what do people want? People want to be seen and they want to be part of a group. They want to be seen as in their part of a group. So they want to stand out in a group of people who all agree, have a cohesive way of looking at the world. And that's exactly what Freddie is lacking. And I, I think this this harkens to great writing, which is you put him as a veteran of a terrible war coming back, trying to assimilate back into community. I mean, you and I were not part of a war um, and it's difficult for us already. Can yeah. you imagine what it was like, what it's like today even, but m not to mention back then. When was this set? This was set uh, like nineteen fifty forties and fifties. Yeah, fifties. Yeah, much less in the fifties after World War II. Coming back, like trying to assimilate after the the horrors that you probably saw there. Like, how do you do that when you're already messed up going in to that war, and then you go to through a war, and then you come back? Of course, you're looking for purpose, for meaning, for somebody to tell you that you're worth it and worthy, and somebody who has has status paying attention to you. All of a sudden you're thinking, oh, oh, okay, these are my people. Okay, I'm going to do whatever this guy says. I mean, everybody loves him. Everybody's following him, of course. And it's the, the you know, age old, you know, like, like you just use your power. And I think that, that whatever, we can have people disagree and that's totally fine. But, mm -hmm. but church and church does that. Religion in general does that because it's not inclusive. They say they're inclusive. All of them do. And yet when it comes down to it, 99% of the time, they're really not. Because if you don't believe, if there's this one thing that you don't believe that's part of their beliefs, then all of a sudden you don't believe any of it and you don't belong. And, and this happens in this movie where Freddie, you know, breaks some of those beliefs, right? And he gets in trouble for it. It's like, wait, hold, hold on, you know, like <laughs> that doesn't mean that he doesn't love you still that he doesn't agree with a lot of what you're doing that he doesn't need it you know i think i also think there's a very important place for religion because i think that it gives people who are completely lost some sense of a home base the problem lies in the person at the top or the people at the top who who well that's one of the problems but the people at the top who dictate who belongs who is messed up who need to be punished for something or whatever. Like, mm. like who are you to say any of that stuff just because you have quote unquote power? Uh, it's just, yeah, it's really frustrating in real life. And I think that, that, you know, the more we talk about it, the more I feel like that's, it's maybe that's the, yeah, it's, it's, we use, he uses PTA uses, you know, like kind of this backdrop of Scientology um, here in this, because I think that a lot of people can look at that and think, oh, that's a cult, you know, but that they're not looking inward. They're not looking at the church they go to as the same thing where honestly it really is. I mean, you look at like Joel Osteen in Houston is a great example. When the floods in Houston happened years ago, he wouldn't even open. He has this mega church, mega church in, in Houston. It was the old summit. It was the the place where the 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 Rockets won the mm. NBA Finals, right? That's his church now. He, when when that flood happened, well, I don't even know six seven years ago, he wouldn't even open his church to people. 
to come in because they had just redone the carpets. Like what, what kind of, what kind of love is that supposed to show? Mm-hmm. Right. So what I'll, what I'm saying is that there is a dichotomy here that I think that PTA is calling out, not just about Scientology. He's using that as a backdrop, but just about, uh, about our need for certain things as human beings and about some other people seeing that and taking advantage of it. Uh, that's what I get from it as well. Yeah, it's it's thoughtful. As far as cinematography goes, like I love the way they lit this. Um, really unafraid of contrast and eyeshadows, right? Raccoon eyes. And I love it. The, the shadows are nearly crushed. Like sometimes I think they are. Uh, but for the most part, if you actually look pretty close, there's some detail you can pick up in the shadows on like their suits. Um, but he's not afraid to really kind of push that envelope. And I love that. The highlights are usually safe as well, but sometimes they blow out a little bit too. And I, I really appreciate that uh, just because I think a lot of people are so in love with dynamic range that they forget that you can push your image around and create a look um, and to not be afraid of not looking like everyone else. I think the there's a same sameness that's happening you know over the last four or five years and it's just like ah don't be afraid like not everything needs to be hdr it's okay to lose some detail um if it helps tell your story and here he's just really not afraid of that uh also love you know so many moments there's all these eyeshadows like that scene in particular where they're in processing by the time you're at the end of that scene you can't see anyone's eyes like it's just nothing but shadows over the whole eye socket down half the cheek and i love that i think it's reflective of what's happening in the scene right uh to some extent we're losing humanity um therefore you're you're unable to see any their eyes probably reflects some other things the the opacity level that lancaster is operating out of right you can't see him very well because his intentions are murky but even throughout the rest of the film i'm sure it's lit to magnificent proportions uh but the way they they let you walk in and out of shadows and uh, it just feels very real and lived in they're running around through the department store and a lot of scenes i feel like i can't tell if they're using practicals or not to light the scene i think sometimes they are maybe a lot of times they're probably not but normally the way you tell is if the practical is blown out if it's blown out that that means that it they're really getting a lot of light out of there to make sure you can get it onto your cast and to the, to the rest of the scene. Whereas if you can see a lot of detail in the light, the light's not coming from there because there's no way you could get that much detail in the light and have enough left over to spill onto your, your scene onto your, your cast. And so it just, it's a give and take. Do you want to use practicals to light your scene? If you do, well, cool, but you're going to have something blown out in that detail or you're just really clever in how you uh, stage it. Cause at that point, maybe you cover up the bulb itself and now it's bouncing off the wall or something, but you're going to, it's going to be high. It's you're going to get a lot of brightness in those highlights. And I just love that. I love the, the, the willingness to, to play in the lighting. Like, yeah, I, it's bold. I, it shouldn't be, it, this used to be pretty common stuff, but it, it's bold by today's standards, in my opinion. The other thing that, that ties us back into what we were, we've been talking about is maybe first shot, last shot. Again, we don't always get one of these, uh, but here I think there might be something. It's less clear than, you know, in a, a recent film. And here the first shot is the ship's wake right it's just stirring up you know the 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 water and we immediately cut to freddy and his helmet and he's just kind of peeking over the rail and you can't see a lot of freddy because he's got his helmet on so it's covering up up until his eyes just about and then the rail is kind of coming up also you know to his chin or i mean he's mostly covered up okay last shot is freddy kind of back at the war and he's falling asleep with the sandcastle woman on the beach. And he's like at her bosom. Uh, and it's interesting to juxtapose those two images. Maybe the first image is him drowning at the start. He's being tossed at sea. He's lost. And maybe the last image is that he's submitting to his real master. Uh, maybe sex. Or maybe him at the bosom of an imaginary woman being taken care of. That 
whole image to me invokes an idea of a baby, um, you know, at his mom, nursing at his mom. And that's a fascinating thing about what this guy actually needs is someone who's just going to love him no matter what. It's just going to be there for him and love him. And that'll get him through. Um, and I think that's kind of what he's looking for until he runs into the wrong element that knows how to manipulate those feelings in him that provides all the things we've been talking about. And so I don't know. I, it's fascinating. It's an interesting thought experiment. Who knows? It's, it's pretty loosey goosey, of course, but that's the beauty of art is to take away what you want and to have your own interpretation. Uh, and that's what we strive for here at the puzzle. <laughs> it's hard. There's, there's a lot that could yeah. be taken away, I think. And that's what makes this, uh, that's what makes it, I think, a great example of what film can be and mm-hmm. and and do whether or not people it could be polarizing as well. You know, people could some people could hate it and that's OK, too. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's necessary. I'm glad it was made. I think it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's opus, you know, um, for sure. God. Uh, I don't see him in this movie. I, mm-hmm. He just, you know, disappears, I think. Dude, when uh, he from, gets up there and he starts saying the most absurd, ridiculous stuff, and he says it with so much confidence and absolute certainty, as a viewer, it should be easy to think, is he right? Maybe he's right. Maybe he did wrestle a dragon to the ground. Maybe we are trillions of years old, and that science just hasn't caught up yet. You know, it, it, that's how you get pulled in, is, is through someone's confidence and I, the one thing I wish people, and I don't think it's the reality, but that I wish people would take away from this movie is exactly that, that you shouldn't equate confidence with facts. Mm -hmm. Just because someone can say something with absolute authority doesn't mean they have that authority. (laughs) doesn't mean that they know what they're saying. And it's easy whenever someone's saying something we disagree with that we don't want to believe. It's much harder when someone's saying something we do believe and we want to believe in. That's when you get got. And it's mm-hmm. so hard to analyze yourself for those misgivings and for those those potholes uh, because those are the things that's going to get you. Um, and if you can, if you can look at the things that you believe that you want to believe and uh, and then reanalyze your sources based on that, that can be a really healthy, you know, audit of your, of your life and, you know, your own beliefs. Uh, and it's okay to change your mind, of course. And it's also okay to be like, nah, you know what? I got that one right. It's no one. It's, it's a, it's a process. We're all, we're all doing our best. I think. Yeah. I, I'll just raise my hand and say I'm a gullible person myself. So I, I, I'm not, you know, admonishing myself from any kind of like, you know, issues, but it, it, it has taken me you know, most of my life to learn that little, little thing you just said, just because somebody says something that you want to believe with fervency, doesn't mean that it's actually true. So I don't know. I mean, you know, timeless film, probably I'm good with not watching it again for (laughs) another 20 years. Um, But if you, if you want to study acting, I think that this is a studying both Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman in here is just uh, um, a great, it's a, it's a great uh, uh, little piece of work. And yeah, like the way, the way that he will, especially towards the end where, you know, like he, when he, in his new book that wasn't doing well, the way that he would deliver something with kind of fervency, but you knew he really didn't, wasn't sure about it still. Like it's just a really great piece to study for acting. I think, Um, but yeah, I'm good for a while. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like watching them both, they both disappear and seeing just how fluid it was, especially for Joaquin, because the nice thing about Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance is 90% of it is in this one specific zone. And then, you know, these private odd little things happen that he has to engage with and watching how he figures out how to do that in a way that maintains this organic texture with the rest of his performance, it's masterclass stuff. Uh, whereas Joaquin has to bring all that weird energy and he has to make it make sense without losing you in the story because PTA writes some really weird, funky stuff and you just have to go with it. You have to 
figure out how to make this a reality. And I don't know where it comes from, but I love that we have PTA making films that cost whatever, 20, 40 million dollars. I have no idea. You could tell me this cost five million dollars or fifty million dollars. I would believe you either way. I just can't yeah. put a put a budget on this. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes, but uh <laughs> it's outstanding. Yeah. Um yeah. nice. What uh what are you gonna recommend this week? Surrogate. That's the word I was looking for earlier. Whenever oh, okay. he's going up to the father. Been God. able to help you there. Yeah, I got it. Okay. All sorry. Right. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> No, you're good. You're good. Oh, okay. Um, so this week I'm going to recommend a book actually that I got recently that I um, uh, by Rick Rubin called The Creative Act. Uh, he put out a book recently. And I think anybody who is a creative or wants to create something or feels the, you know, any kind of pull to make anything at all, or maybe even is just lost and isn't a creative, should read this because it really puts into perspective. It's helped me a lot, um, honestly he has this way of calming you down, right? I think like for me, I have always in my entire life felt like I'm running out of time and that I have to, con- I'm a try hard bird is what my wife says. And she is too. And we feel like we don't have a lot of time. We've got to do all of this stuff. And we've, and, or if we're not doing the stuff, we're dying and whatever the stuff may be. And that's not a place of true creativity. It's a place of urgency. And it's hard to allow your subconscious to actually say what it needs to say. Because we're 95% subconscious. Every, you know, us talking here, like the stuff that I'm saying that might be resonating to other people is not stuff that like I'm consciously thinking about saying. It's stuff that like just kind of comes up. And that's, it's really hard to tap into that. This book focuses on calming you down allowing you to recognize that you're more than what is on the surface and showing you that it's important to allow that to come out but that it's also not important and that you you just you just are and how you are can change and alter and it's just it's a great insightful book and it's not really like a story narrative you know it's these little tiny chapters of just nuggets of, of things. I mean, he even starts the book by saying none of this might be real. You know, this is just my meandering thoughts on a career, you know, a 30 year career of creativity. You know, I mean, this is a guy, this is a guy who um, has worked with everyone from system of a down to the Dixie chicks to, uh, uh, I mean, Pantera to like, the beastie boys to Jay-Z and this, and, and I mean, there's amazing stories uh, of, of, you know, him working with the most creative human beings of their era who were stuck and pulling out greatness, not pulling out, but just allowing greatness Mm. to flow out of them by the way that he interacts with them and him seeing that and witnessing that happening is pretty and then coming back and telling you the stories it kind of like is pretty revealing of like what we're all capable of as humans and what the world and ourselves like hides right it's a it's really cool it's a really transformative book so sorry i didn't mean no that's awesome how long did it take you to read it do you think oh two weeks but i i pretty busy so like yeah so like little nuggets that's a really fast read then it's a it's a fast read it's a long book but it's a it's a fast read because because they are segmented out these little chapters like pretty small so you can get through them pretty quickly you know it's not like 30 page chapters or anything wow okay the creative act by rick rubin nice i don't know exactly what i'm gonna recommend oh wait what oh my god um I think I'm going to recommend Anatomy of a Fall. It's new film. I think it's doing well at the Oscars. Uh, it made my top 10 of last year. And it's really good. It's it's looking at a little bit of the legal system. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a really nice experience to just kind of walk in and let it unfold. 
but it's a patient film. Don't go in expecting explosions or anything <laughs> more than conversations. But I love that it really takes you on a ride and allows you uh, to just experience what the characters are experiencing. Um, and you, I love a good courtroom drama and it's eventually turns into a good courtroom drama. Yeah. And especially someone else's courtroom. I'm so used to American courtrooms, seeing how they operate in other countries. It's always really fun um, and, and interesting. And this one I believe is in France. I haven't seen it since the theater. So yeah, anatomy of a fall, go watch it and see why it's being nominated maybe why not um yeah stay tuned for next week we go through another drama not uh we're gonna take a look at Zack snyder's 300 i needed a popcorn film and todd acquiesced um all too willingly so i was like yes we're gonna watch uh spartans um do a bunch of spartany things um and so <laughs> stay tuned for that next week and if you're enjoying the show don't forget subscribe drop us a review leave us a note something you want us to talk about kind of things you find interesting uh yeah and if you want to leave a comment on this episode and alleviate us of our vile beastness uh you can do that at thepestpodcast.com slash the master and our quote of the day today is from napoleon bonaparte religion is what keeps the poor from murdering the rich Wow. I just thought that's funny, like, because we've always heard, you know, religion is the opiate of the masses and it's a tool of control. Um, and maybe, yeah, I don't know. I haven't done that kind of deep dive into the history of religion and when and where, like I've read bits and pieces and it seems as feasible as anything else. Um, and yeah, so why not? Why not? It keeps keeps population under under the thumb of uh, rule of law. Why not? Yeah. yeah yeah and i i you know it's not all bad it's i think bad. you know it it, it offers a, a home to the lost for sure uh it's when it's when yeah anyway we won't go on to that tirade yeah uh yeah uh thank you guys so much for joining us as wes said please uh share us with your friends subscribe review us wherever you get your podcasts if there's a film you'd like to see us do uh, please recommend it. Who knows? Maybe we'll cover it and give you a little shout out. Uh, until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.